none of us want that phone call that, oh man, I lost the bull of a lifetime because I had a setup that wasn't forgiving enough to overcome my heart up in my throat. Hello, welcome to the Hoyt Bowhunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and today I have Evan Williams with me from Hoyt, and we are very excited to talk with Nick Fisher, who is the president of AAE Archery. And so those of you who don't know, AAE is a big manufacturer of veins, and they have several other products, but I've always known you, Nick, for your veins. That's that's one of the things. I mean, I don't know. It just stands out in my mind. I actually shot a rest of yours years ago as well, but um, I, I do know you guys make a wide variety of high-quality veins. And so with that being said, Evan and I have, have kind of talked about what we want to learn from you today. And we want to talk about Aeroflight, but we'll get to that. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I, I, I love the flight of an arrow and all, all things that go into it because it is, uh, on one hand it's science and on the other, it's kind of witchcraft. So, um, so Nick, before we get into that though, tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about, you know, what you do every day at AAE and maybe whatever, you know, your, your family or what you like to hunt. I mean, just a little bit about yourself. Well, I guess just start from the beginning a little bit. Third generation, uh, soon to be owner. We'll be beginning uh, 2022. Um, our company was started by my grandfather in 1971. Um, my dad and my uncle purchased it from my grandparents in 2000. And my both my parents retired uh, earlier this year. My mom late last year, my dad early this year, and I stepped in as president. Um, Started in the company when I was 10 years old, so wow. almost 29 years here in the business. Uh, pretty nice. much worked in every portion of the company, every department, know every angle and everything we do. Um, That's yeah, awesome, you know, man. It's, that is really awesome. Like literally your lifelong business yeah. has been, That's I didn't know that. That's really cool to know. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, especially it's not, you know, it's not so common this day and age because kids get all of barely two months off. But when we were kids, you know, we had basically from Memorial day to labor day off. So right. you sit at home and be a kid and eat Oreos and get chunky, or you could have a, a purpose. So, uh, when I was 10, my grandpa brought me in to start teaching me, um, just to have a job, the value of a dollar. And so, and, well, a lot of people know that we do injection moldings, um, our primary business, although what we say is archery is who we are. And that is the basis in the face of the company, um, injection molding is what we do and our injection molding supplements are, are allows us to support the archery comp or the archery industry at the level that we do. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's where I got so started. Was just do you guys have art. other products that you manufacture for, for other industries that are injection molded? Absolutely. There's yeah, so you, you leverage your manufacturing capability. Absolutely. Have gotcha. Um, that's yeah, of course. Yeah. Hurts, you know, and it's very common in the archery industry, you know, um, mm. shrewd their, their manufacturing arm, Damon, uh, corporation, they produce a lot of stuff, a lot of dog tags, a lot of other components, um, spot hog up in the Northwest. They, they have a manufacturing arm as does Trueball Excel. They have a manufacturing arm that, and we all do that because mainly, you know, we want to be able to bring more income in to support our love of archery. And it allows right. us that extra income allows us all to put more money back into the industry. Does it, it sounds with the way you just said that, that archery is your main focus. 
Absolutely. It's a hundred percent been my focus. Um, my dad, his love, and he was very much a, uh, a savant when it came to mold design, he could pick up your cell phone, look at the different pieces that are on your cell phone, your case, understand instantly how to build the tool. He could see the entire tool in his mind instantly. Wow. Um, so we've had to evolve from that with his retirement. Uh, I've been very fortunate to land a young, a young man who just graduated from high school who has caught on to that very, very quickly. I'm, I'm good at mold design, but my love is archery. And I've spent the last 15 years growing our archery brand and that being my focus. So that's still very much the direction I go on a daily basis besides managing, you know, the day-to-day operations of the company. Right. Uh, my mind is generally on archery. Well, that's, that's great. I mean, obviously that's, that's what we all love is, uh, and that's why we're on this podcast. So good to hear. Um, what are you a big hunter yourself, Nick? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I do shoot a lot of, uh, target archery. We attend a lot of events. I do love to shoot. Um, I'm not on the level of your Jesse's and Levi's. I'm, I don't shoot in pro class, unfortunately. Um, just, not capable of it to be honest i'm better <laughs> Nor than am most. i but trying to run yeah. a, to run a company and everything as well i mean come on now. yeah how much time I, are you getting to shoot on your own stuff um i'm doing good to get three hours a week you know if if we're getting into getting ready for vegas or a big event or something like that i, I can step it up to five or six hours a week uh, it's generally during my lunch break you know wife kids family um we're very busy. So even after work, there's very little time to shoot. So. And hunting, what do you, what do you like to hunt? Elk is the love, man. I mean, I'll, I'll hunt anything. We're blessed here in Arizona to have 10 big game animals. Sure. If you can draw a tag. Yeah. But (laughs) how often can you draw an elk tag in Arizona as a resident? It depends on what you want to put in for. I went through a really good stretch. I had seven tags in 10 years. Wow. Um, But those were mainly late season tags a couple of more rifle tags i do not yeah. uh you know i'm 100 percent into hunting so whether it be with long range rifles um i've actually really gotten into that quite heavily in yeah. the last couple of years but archery is still the love and there's there's nothing like being in the woods in september for oak so yeah no kidding well that that is great Thanks for the, uh, you know, description of all things, Nick in five minutes. We like it. Well, so, so what, what do you guys think, uh, Evan and Nick, I'm curious. I know you guys are both uh, avid shooters and, and very techie and your gear. I am a bit too. I, I love this stuff. Uh, what do you guys think of the role a vein plays? Like, let's describe to the listener, like, what does a vein do and, and why do we need veins? And then, let's get into broadheads and, and how that changes from a field point and the use of veins in hunting. Well, I just to preface the conversation, I take all these conversations from the understanding that you're shooting a very well-tuned bow. Um, Absolutely. Although I am not a professional archer, I've been fortunate enough to be trained by Greg Poole and Jesse Broadwater, which I would argue are two of the best bow tuners on the planet. Um, and I get over the top about it. I bear shaft tune at 50 yards. So, wow. Yeah. Um, it gets a little obsessive for me. So you, can you get a bear shaft to group with your flat shafts at 50 yards? Absolutely. Like how, what's the group size? 
I mean, is it, is it like right in there? You can't tell the difference or is it drifting a little bit more? It'll drift like my current setup right now at 50 yards. Because but when I get done line tuning and if, you know, if you line tune at 50, 80, 100 yards and you're micro tuning your rest to find where it's most forgiving, my current setup right now at 50 yards with a bear shaft, I'm four inches right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you, do you, when you bear shaft tune to that level, are you putting – uh, some sort of tape on where the veins are to yeah. uh, to simulate the weight of the veins. Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and even then, you know, a lot of people don't realize if fifty yards or three grain var- weight variance in arrows still shoots in the same hole. Of course, yeah. yeah. You get you get so many guys that go, "Oh, my arrows." That I mean, we'll take veins. It's what we do, you know, and that is our pride and joy above everything we do is our veins and. Our, our tolerance is plus or minus a half a grain from our our set standard on our veins. And you'll get guys coming, oh, this vein's seven tenths of a grain lighter or heavier than my other. Oh my gosh. Which, yeah. which with a plus or minus a half a grain variance, you can have a full mm-hmm. one grain difference between two veins. There's not a human on the planet that can shoot a good enough to see that. Especially Even with the weight on the back of the arrow. You yeah. know, if, I, if yeah. I'm talking, you know, a, a variance of, you know, five, 10 grains on the front of my arrow, I start to think how, about how that's going to affect the spine. Correct. And, yeah. and maybe, maybe I'm getting overkill there, but I just start to think about that. I'm not thinking that the weight's actually going to change my impact. I'm thinking that it might, but on the back of the arrow, I'm not even thinking about it. No. Yeah. Correct. I mean, it's not even anything you're going to even ever see, you know, I'll shoot arrows that are 25 grains difference at a hundred yards. And they'll impact six inches different. Yeah. My, my, my buddy, Tim Gillingham told me it takes about 10 grains before you can see a difference at hundred yards. Absolutely. It seems about right to me. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, at 10 grains, you'll, you'll see a three to 4% or three to four feet per second difference. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so one of those things along that line is one of the questions I've had the most is what is my approximate speed going to be? based on draw length, draw weight, bow weight, and my total arrow speed, okay, for arrow weight. So when you look at an IBO or an ATA spec'd out bow and you're shooting, again, 70 pounds, 30 inches, 350 grain weight on your arrow, you can start making adjustments based on, okay, we're shooting a 28-inch draw length, we're shooting 73 pounds instead of 70 pounds, and if our arrow weight is 430 grains, when it comes to an individual's bow speed, I've always used that 3.3 to 3.5 grains of an arrow will affect one foot per second of speed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. About, about right. What, what you guys do? Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Three for 10. Yep. 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 Yeah. And then there's, there's, I have like jotted down somewhere. I have the rule of thumb for draw length for draw pounds and for arrow weight Mm -hmm. and how those as a rule of thumb affect. And I don't have them right off the top of my head, but that, that, that one is, yeah, that's right on Evan. Um, so, so getting back Nick to that question I had about what is the role of, of veins in archery. So you said to preface this, I'm saying that you need a perfectly tuned bow before we even start talking about veins. I got you. I think 
everybody needs to realize like you need to be shooting bullet holes or, or whatever you're doing to tune your bow. You need to make sure your arrow's coming off your rest straight, straight as an arrow, right? Absolutely. So, so th from that point, Nick, tell us about veins and, and what they do. So at that point, yes, if we're talking a, a very tuned bow, because if it's not tuned, the first thing the vein's doing is trying to correct your tune failure. So that's why. Which, which at that point, they become even more important. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you <laughs> and, need, and need to be, and need to be bigger. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. like you just said, you can shoot bear shafts at 50 yards without, you don't even need veins. <laughs> so, right. Right. I mean, if it's tuned well enough. But and so for the average archer who, whose bow might be slightly out of tune, veins all of a sudden become really critical. Extremely, extremely. Yeah. You know, so again, on that side of it being a perfectly tuned bow, the first thing it's trying to do a vein is doing is covering up you. Because obviously, when I'm shooting bear chefs at 50 yards, I at the level of archer I am, we would say a, a semi pro. Um, I'm better than 98% of the people out there. I'm still only breaking perfect shots at 50 yards, one out of two, one out of three. And I mean, gotcha. and you can see that mm -hmm. and you can see that in the impact and you can feel it. If you're shooting, yeah. up, you know, when that pin, whether it's floating in the middle or it just stops and you execute, everything breaks clean. You don't flinch. Cause that's the biggest thing. Any tiny wiggle during that one seventieth of a second that the, the shot cycle is, it's going to move a bear shaft a long ways. Yep. Yeah. So okay. you have to take those into account and go, okay, that was perfect. That was perfect. That was perfect. That was horrible. Horrible. You know, yeah. and you can't think about those because that's what a vein does. You don't instantly. That's the first thing a vein's doing is it's overcoming you. So, so Nick, uh, I've never shot bear shots at 50 yards. I've shot them at 20 and I, and I do, I definitely feel that, but just, uh, you know, from what you've seen, say your, your bow hand gets involved a little bit and you, you mess up a shot, right? Mm -hmm. A bear shaft compared to a flat shaft at 50 yards with a slight torque from you, you know, that last second adjustment to get on target or whatever. What, what's the difference in impact? A slight one would be a foot. And with the flat shaft, you wouldn't see it. Okay. That's incredible. You know, say we get, you know, the, the common dip bang and you give yeah. it enough onion that would bring it back into the dot a couple yeah. inches, you yeah. know, a bear shaft would be a foot high. Interesting. So that's got to be great for your form too. Or, or it yeah. could give you target panic. One of the two. It's, <laughs> it is yeah. infuriating, yeah. but I become obsessed with it. That's awesome. There are days that me, I have part of the reason why I never make that high end archer is I have a genetic shake. Um, I overcome it with a lot of bow weight. And a lot of the world's going, oh, I, I want my bow six pounds, carbon bows, light bow. My, my hunting bow with a full quiver is right at 10 pounds. Yeah. 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 I'm you, running you 12 running ounces out front. Okay. 18 or 20 on the back. So, yeah. And you're, and you're packing that around in the bush. Well, hey, we all love to to hunt elk, Alan. And you know, if you're worried about an extra two pounds on your bow, you probably shouldn't be worried about packing out a hundred pounds of elk. That that's very true. And we yeah, all love to make horse. Good, good shots. <laughs> we all yeah. love to make good shots, and that's that and the stabilization is something you just get very accustomed to, and you can't. Yeah, I mean, you, if you switch it up, it's not going to be the same. No. Uh, I've actually gotten to the point that my target bow and my hunting bow are the same bows, obviously different draw weight 
but they are set up to weigh exactly the same. The holding weights within half a pound. I've done the same thing. Yep. Yeah. Because my target, I mean, my target was to help me become a better hunter in my case. So I want it to feel the same. Exactly. Yep. Well, let's okay. Numbers there. There are right. Yeah. Especially the holding weight. I think that's a big deal. Yes. I, I draw lighter on my, on my target bow, but I have a lower percentage let off. So it turns out to be the same holding weight. I'm sure you guys do something like that. Yep. So, so what, what do you think, um, how does crosswind performance, how do you look at veins for crosswind performance? Because obviously, you know, a lot of controls nice in your veins. It's going to make it more forgiving, at some point you could maybe get too much, but then you throw a crosswind into it. And how, how do you decide what vein you're going to shoot on a hunting rig? So basically for me, a lot of it came down to when we developed the max stealth, which was, you know, using our max hunter ribbon. Um, and we ended up with a, our two twenty six profile. Um, I, can you give me I, dimensions on that? So it's just under a half inch tall. It's a standard parabolic 2.7 inches long. Okay. Um, I tested 11 different vein shapes, four of which have didn't exist and still don't exist ideas. Um, I was getting a lot of pressure to, to create a three inch shield cut vein for crossbows. Um, and, and real quick for, for the guys listening that don't know a parabolic is what most people would consider a normal back end of a vein. So it's a, it's a nice curved drop off coming into the back end of your vein where as we get into some of the conversation of a shield cut what's the how would you define the shield cut versus the parabolic Nick? um there's numerous veins that have a shield cut whether our 2.0s look like our max hunter um q2i has a shield cut um it's kind of like if you think of an old the term came from an older uh uh, literally the half of a shield from like a knight's shield where it curves up has a notch on the outside and it's narrow on the top you know it, it um, looks like somebody took a bite out of the end of the of yeah. the parabolic exactly. i mean where it's rounded it has an inverse rounded part in in that curve absolutely yeah um so you know nick is there an advantage to that i actually i shoot a shield cut but i don't really know i just like it I don't know why. What, what, what's the idea there? From a target standpoint, if we were talking strictly target archery, there is a, a an, an advantage because they're they are better in the wind. Um, oh, I got gotcha. you. Standpoint, we're utilizing more of the leading edge of the vein. Yeah, steer, more, you know, you're probably not applying as much offset as much helical. We're using the leading edge of the vein to steer because, which is why we shoot small outdoor veins. Or, you know, our little two point Um other companies have a similar sized vein because we don't need that much again we're talking a bow that's well tuned um we're shooting very small diameter arrows you don't need that much vein to recover anything right so when you're just using that leading edge you don't need that back bit of the vein where you actually start increasing your pocket which in flight when you start looking sideways at the arrow that back quarter inch of the vein where a shield cut cuts off really becomes a lot more surface for the wind to hit. Yeah. So the side profile, and again, for the listeners, when there's a crosswind, the side profile of that vein, the wind is going to hit the side profile. And so 
what Nick is saying, and now it's just clicked for me, is that shield cuts reducing the side profile with a part of the vein that maybe isn't as critical for stabilization. So why not get rid of it? Then you have less side profile. Very right. nice. I knew now, there was a good reason why I was shooting those. Yeah. But here, now here's the caveat. If you're shooting a larger broadhead, a fixed blade, or I prefer personally shoot a hybrid. So, you know, I have a small yeah. fixed on the front with a mechanical on the back half of the head. Um, and now we give a little more offset, two degrees, three degrees is becoming more popular. Um, I'm not a fan of it personally, but, you know, we add in some helical along with it. And now you're exposing more of the side of that vein. And the purpose being to allow the side of that vein to help steer more, to get more uh, control and not allow the broadhead to plane. So if you're offsetting or helical, you know, you're having a strong offset or helical, that shield cut actually is going to be taking away some of the performance because now that side profile is becoming front profile. Correct. Nice. Correct. Okay. So That's smart stuff, man. That's smart stuff. Yeah. And it's a give and a take. If you're strictly shooting a smaller mechanical, say a, a tight mechanical, like a sever or, um, the rage is kind of, you know, their hypodermic hides the blades better. They're smaller blades. Um, but, a to me, a rage these days has quite a bit of blade exposure. It does. Yeah. 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 You know, so that's surface and you're going to need more vein for that. Uh, Lee and Tiffany recently have gone strictly to shooting our small target 2.0s because they can tune the bow well enough, but they're shooting them in a four fletch with a lot of offset to expose as much of that vein as possible because uh, Lee does spend a lot of time. They both spend a lot of time out West dealing with the wind. Mm-hmm. And he was setting up different setups to be able to manage his goat hunt. He had a goat hunt a couple of years ago where he was shooting mountain you know, goat. Yeah. Mountain goat. On Kodiak. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then a couple of different antelope hunts he's had where he's had dealing with those high winds. And he actually found, well, obviously if this thing shoots well enough at 80, a hundred yards for these hunts, he was running a completely different vein setup for his whitetail set hunts and realized, well, that wasn't really necessary. Right. Um, but the only downside, again, we get into these shield cuts is they're loud. Um, and they all are. It's the nature of the cut. When you take that sharper point on the top of the arrow and you run, obviously run air past it, any vein shape that's going to have a sharper point at the top of it is going to whistle. It's going to sound like a missile coming right at the animal. Gotcha. You know certainly us western hunters understand that the animal's not jumping the sound of your bow it's jumping the missile coming flying at it because yeah. it can hear that have, have you ever tried to measure that like measure the sound with some sort of decibel meter as, so that, as the arrow flies by that's actually how i created the max stealth because that was one of the primary tests i was after because i knew shield cuts were loud and when the crossbow world wanted this three inch shield cut. And, you know, that's when we were first approaching these 400 feet per second crossbows. Well, that is going to be the loudest arrow ever. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm pretty basic, just downloaded a decibel meter on my phone. um, And then I was taping my phone to the top of a chair Mm -hmm. and just shooting over the top of it, how accurate the decibels were. And I don't even remember now. Um, I will tell you there is true decibel meter testing occurring this weekend indoors. Um, and I am looking forward to that. Footage. Oh, nice. Yeah. I actually was doing that all day yesterday. I was up at silencer co shooting different silencers with different configurations. Um, 
for field ethos, we were doing a review on these new silencer lines. So that's why, that's why I was asking because I happened to have been doing it all day yesterday. Yeah. So you're going to be yeah. doing that this weekend. You're going to be shooting your, your veins past the mic. I am not. Um, he'll yell at me for saying it, but Greg and Gaius are at the world championships right now. Yeah. And that was part of our plan because the, obviously the NFA facility there has 80 or only you can get a hundred yards. in Yep. But uh, at night, they've got the facility to themselves, and we are doing a large amount of testing. Um, again, just pretty much every vein, numerous different helical um, offset configurations. There's been some touting of this three-degree helical offset that it's supposed to be better for speed, downrange. Um, the physics defy every ounce of that, but I guess you can't see it without proving Well, and... Yeah, I'm curious to see those tests too, because actually, Nick, you and I had this conversation last week when I called mm -hmm. talking about drag coefficients and the drag created by going too much helical, too much offset or too much and, and big veins creating too much more and getting that parachuting effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's something I'm really curious in. Cause there's, I mean, that's a big reason why we have so many different vein sizes. I'm, I'm a big proponent of don't shoot any more than you need. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, four fletch is becoming really popular, but you see a lot of people doing it with a larger vein, you know, something say our max stealth, which I, unless you have a very poor tuned setup or you're shooting a fixed blade head, that's not a quality head. I don't even think you need to go to four fletch with those veins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's becoming really popular because it does cover up human error so much faster. It will overcome a poor tune but you're going to see huge drag differences at long range. When I was doing all that testing in 2015, just in what, when I was doing all that, it was all at one and a half to two degrees. You know, I use a bits for, for my hunting setups and with a right hand helical clamp. And the, you know, there's no exact number on that. I literally was like, I laid a protractor against it, figured out basically what angle it's sitting at. And it's just under two degrees to fletch properly to a, a 166 id shaft you know something in that 240 di outer diameter with a, you're you're probably maxing out the ability to do helical on a shaft that small on right four mil yep absolutely and i actually stress it to people when i when i'm talking to them about trying to util maximize and utilize the effectiveness of that um to take a die grinder their their clamp if you take a standard bits clamp and you lay it on a shaft, it might touch the shaft in two spots. Mm -hmm. yep. So from a, when you're, when you're trying to fletch arrows and you, you know, adhesion so critical and with today's pretty much, we all use some form of a cyanac or later super glue. You need that consistent pressure across the base of the vein to get, yep. to activate the glue. So um, I tell everybody, take a die grinder, highlight your high spots and you want to kiss those all down until you get really good contact across the shaft. Oh, nice. Good idea. And that's critical with today's small arrows. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so let me tell you about, I'm, I'm a fanatical hunter and, and Western hunter and I, and I shoot fairly long range and I shoot a lot and this crosswind performance thing and long range performance is really, really important to me. And I've put a lot of work into it. So I want to tell you my setup and I want you to beat it up or, or, you know, tell me where I'm right. Tell me where I'm wrong. I think that might be a good way to like, look at this, to actually teach the principles we're talking about. So 
So I've decided to go with the 204 shaft. I think that they call it a five millimeter. Yep. And uh, I, the reason I've done that is I, I find it slightly more forgiving to tune than the 166, but still it's very low profile because I want crosswind performance. And obviously your shaft is every bit, if not more important than the vein uh, profile. I mean, if you've got a, a 246 shaft, it, there's a lot of you know, crosswind profile to that. So I mm -hmm. went to the 204. I have shot 166s, but I settled on the 204. And, I, and I'm actually, I'm shooting a, a, a very light shaft with 160 grains up front between the insert and the broadheads. I shoot a 125. And so I have quite a bit of FOC. I'm running over 16%, about 16.5% FOC. And I'm not a real... I haven't really bought into the penetration characteristics of FOC, but I have seen improvements, improvements in how it flies in the wind specifically. I feel like it tracks better when there's crosswind. And then for my vein setup, I'm running four 1.75 inch veins that are 0.43 inches tall shield cut. Mm -hmm. So they're very small veins, as small as I can possibly get away with. And I'm running four of them because the idea is that, I can run a lower profile vein with four. I'd have to step up in size if I only ran three and mm -hmm. I'm running as much helical as I can get out of that short vein and that, you know, slim diam diameter shaft. What are your thoughts on that setup? What brought him? I, I'm shooting a grim reaper mechanical normally, but I also shoot and which is not a ultra low profile mechanical. There's some blade showing, but I also shoot occasionally a, a, uh, Grim Reaper Hades fixed blade, which is a, a good flying broadhead. Uh, I shoot the one in 16th. I, I just shot that on my bison last year and my brown bear this spring. I shot a fixed blade. Just, I don't know. I felt a little bit better about it, but anyway, um, regardless, both fly extremely well, which by the way, with this is a different subject, the fixed blade flies way better out of my Ventum than it did out of my RX four, which is very interesting. And actually talked with Zach, Zach Kirchall, the president of Hoyt about this. And he thinks it's, it's that the Ventum is, it takes a uh, lower spine better. It's not as spine sensitive. And so I was getting less flex. I'm getting less flex coming out of the bow. And so the fixed blades performing much better. And I, I'm talking dramatically better from the vent from the RX4 to the Ventum, the exact same arrow, mm -hmm. uh, but that's a different subject. Um, what do you think about the setup? Um, well, I guess I'll touch on the FOC thing first. That 16 to 16 and a half percent is my magic number. Um, okay. I've done a lot of testing of it. Now I have a little longer draw length, shoot a little heavier arrow, uh, but I shoot 200 grains total up front, but that is still my same 16 and a half percent. And I have tested that in comparison with a lot of, a lot of my friends locally, we all shoot a lot. We all shoot a lot of hundred yard broad range competition or broadhead competitions. And I will out, we will all be shooting similar speeds, similar arrow weight within 20 grains. And I will out penetrate them all by feet. Oh, wow. So I, you're, you're thinking on the penetration, wow. it does make a difference. Huge. Most of the guys are say 150 to 175 grains up front. Gaius is a great example. Um, Gaius, you know, he's six foot five. He's got a 33 inch draw length. He shoots a 500. My arrows are 495. His are 515. Um, I'm, they're coming out of my bow at 305. His come out of his bow at 320. 
And I will outpenetrate him by over a foot. Dang. Huh. So, how about wind I, performance with FOC? Have you seen a difference there? Absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. where I see a big difference. Um, you know, when you have that much weight up front, that's just simple physics. It takes more pressure to move it. Right. Um, and I find more FOC to be more forgiving. The only thing that gets funny, and just because I do tend to hang out with large individuals, Greg, Gaius, I've spent a lot of time with Tim discussing arrow setups with Tim Killingham. Uh, the longer draw length guys can't seem to run as a much FOC. It's harder to get there. It, well, it's not just harder to get there. I think they're actually getting two nodal points in the arrow flex. Mm-hmm. When you start getting over that 29 inches, closer to 30 inches of arrow length, their, their arrows are flexing two to three times versus a one for, you know, even at I'm 30 and a quarter inches draw, but I run a just 28 inches of carbon. Yeah. So the, they actually fight accuracy going to more FOC. Yeah. I have a 26 inch arrow shaft. It's quite nice. Yeah. Getting yeah. to, I have a 410 grain arrow with 16 and a half percent FOC. How's that? I mean, it's pretty nice. That, that is nice. But again, that's just using the best combo of what you have. You know, um, and to me, an arrow build becomes really critical because I am looking at that. I want whatever your bow is, whatever the manufacturer, I want that 280 to 300 foot per second window. Try to get as much FOC out of the setup as I can and still keep a reasonable amount of weight. Of course, you know, you get into the lower poundages. Maybe we need to worry about somebody in 260 to 270 and still optimize those numbers for overall penetration and performance. Um, I really get, I will look at every arrow manufacturer, particularly when you get into the more sensitive, lower pounded shooters, women, young kids, or just draw length inhibited people. Um, they, I have a few people that I've set those up for that, although we're grown men there, you know, they got T-Rex syndrome and they're right. 26 right. inches of draw length. So I really study it heavily. And, you know, the advent of these new 166 all-carbon arrows has really allowed you to, to play with those numbers way more effectively. Um, I, I really see huge advantages. What do you think about my vein setup with the 175s that are 0.43 tall, shield cut, and I'm running four of them? And I'm getting, by the way, I mean, my bow's perfectly tuned, but I'm getting fantastic flight out of them. So I think it, it is enough. Absolutely. No, I, I would, I think that setup would be very, very good. I would, I would run that. The only reason I'm not running uh, say four fletch in a smaller vein is just to overcome human air. Okay. Mm-hmm. Simply for forgiveness. Um, the broadhead I shoot being a hybrid. Um, oh, right. Yeah. That's a factor. So is right. it like a, a two blade, a two blade uh, hybrid? Yeah. So, I, so the, the, the leading edge is a two blade broadhead. Correct. Yeah, correct. Yeah, it's the um, well. It's originally designed by Evolution Outdoors. Uh, Dale Perry used to own Grave Digger. Uh, mm. We started producing the ferrules for him back when he first created Grave Digger, and well, when he first brought it to the U.S. around 2010. You guys do machining too? Absolutely. Oh, nice. We're a one-stop shop. I say they'll they'll do it all there. No kidding. That is really cool. Yeah, yeah. No, we do a ton of OEM work for a lot of other companies. People don't even realize. Okay. So. But uh, yeah, no, that head is, I now I shoot the version that we licensed out with Valkyrie. So mm-hmm. using the Valkyrie sleeve and pin system, what I believe he calls the death switch, but the 180 grain version with the 20 grain collar. 
Okay. okay. So yeah, you've got that three quarter inch fixed on the front and then a two inch mechanical on the rear. Oh, it's three quarter inch. Okay. So it's under legal sized on that, but it's a hybrid, so it's fine, but I'm just, it's hybrid. not, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty small, that's a nice setup. I like well, that. and you know that even though it's three quarter, that front blade, it's 60,000 thick. It will shoot through anything. I will shoot that arrow, that entire setup at any animal in North America without question. Yeah. How big are the mech blades? Two inches. They're, uh, they're 30,000. Two blade, 30,000. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. Inch cut. Yeah. So do you think that I would find a little bit more forgiveness if I went, if I bumped up to the two inch vein? Two, two inch? No, no. Um, maybe if you stayed four fletch a little bit, but based on the shape, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to go anything with more of a steeper attack angle because you're going to get a louder arrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if gotcha. you uh, kept that lower profile, you know, and of course, when I think of veins, I more think of my, our, our brain, our veins. Um, Evan is a big fan as well of our, our PM23, yep. a little lower, even lower profile, a little longer. Um, and Evan, you guys are running that before Fletch, right? Yeah, so I run I run the PM23, well, used to run the PM23, have switched uh, the last year and a half over to the 23 hybrid. Um, which can you guys give me dimensions on those and yep, listeners so, just so, so we the, know what that means? So the 23 is 2.3 inches long. It's a parabolic cut. That How is tall is it? Point is it 0.35? 0.36? Uh, three, 375. Yeah, okay. 375. Okay. So it's it's un yeah, it's under Allen's by a full what tenth? Uh yeah, Allen's shooting a four point three. Yeah. yeah, so almost. Yeah. Or, I mean, point point four three. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. so seven sixteenths to three eighths, a, a full sixteenth, almost shorter. Yeah. Actually, it is a full sixteenth. Yep, and I, I like that. Again, it's being a being a shorter vertical profile, but longer. I'm creating the same drag for steering and control on a four fletch, but when it comes to that side profile on a four millimeter shaft. I have less wind drift because I have less total surface area to be caught. Okay. So guys, tell me about height versus length. Cause this is like, this is coming up here. And it's one of the questions I've had. I, I've, I've heard, you know, with, remember when blazer veins first came out and they're like, mm-hmm. yeah, all that matters is the height of the vein. It's not the length. And it was kind of like, it started this whole dialogue, I guess, maybe not, but for me it did. So what you know this trade off like so i'm at 1.75.43 evans at 2.2.3 in length 2.3 and he's a 16th lower profile uh, do you think those are about the same or how does this height versus length thing play out effectively yes i mean you're you're looking to create similar exposed surfaces um you know using that blazer profile as an example, that shorter high profile vein, although it does steer because you are exposing more vein, particularly when you put some offset and some helical into it. Um, but you're increasing drag dramatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, those shorter high profile veins, any of them out there, not just the blazers, any of them are, they're all louder. The attack angle steeper. They're, you know, it's kind of like the wind's just hitting it so much faster. It's not developing a nice progressive drag over the top of it. So the mm-hmm. sound is exponentially louder across the vein. 
Um, I've got a couple of buddies a, shooting. They're shooting four yeah. blazers. Yeah. I'm like, and, my gosh, what are you thinking? That is yeah. unbelievable. Like, tune your bow, man. And and so when <laughs> when when you guys are hearing some of these numbers too, so Al is shooting 1.75 in length and 0.43 in vertical. When we're talking about a blazer type style vein, you're talking two inches, two inches in length and almost, yeah, 0.6. So over half an inch tall. And because of that height, it's, it's pitch off the apex of the, the highest point of the vein down to that front is extremely steep and sharp, which is why Nick is, is saying it's creating a sharper, louder vein. Yeah. I mean, they do have a lot of control, but in, in a lot of people's opinion, it's a little bit of overkill. Mm-hmm. They generally are. Yeah. You know, uh, your, your buddy's shooting four of them. I would, as, again, is that because they. Fixed blade broadhead. I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm like, again, you're, you're shooting a micro Hades, which is a quality smaller fixed blade has killed a lot of animals. Um, I know Evan's a fan of it. Zach Bailiff is a good, a fan of it. Um, Dan over Dan Staten over an elk shape shoots that head as well. Mm-hmm. Um, all those guys have killed a lot of animals with that small head shooting smaller veins. Now Dan shoots our hybrid 26 profile. Um, Which again, what's the dimensions on that? Uh, 2.7, same as our max still 2.7 and just a shade under a half inch tall. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's a pretty big vein. He's running three probably, right? Correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay. On yeah. a pretty good helical. Yeah, like, he, he runs that really uh, Arizona easy fletch with the three degrees offset. Gotcha. Okay. So, and again, that's one of those ones where, to me, the physics say that's too much. I, I would really start to worry about parachuting with that. So let's talk about parachuting. D- describe what that is and when do you need to start worrying about it and how would you know if you're getting it? Generally, you're going to start to see it beyond 50 yards. Well, first um, of all, what, what is it? Nick. It's basically, it's the drag on the back of the arrow becomes so extreme. You start to see the back of the arrow spinning outside of its axis. Um, and anybody who's shot long range enough, whether you film it, you can see it out of your eye. If you break a clean shot, you will start to see the tail end of the arrow spinning around on a loop. Yeah. So um, if you had like a lighted knock you could really see it. Yeah. Okay. You really see that, you know, and it's generally a combination of not enough FOC to manage that and then just too much drag and you too much vein too much you know um you will never have an issue with that with your setup with your setup it's just a matter do you have enough to cover up any human error Um, as long as you're if your your bow is tuned so well as long as it's enough to manage the broadhead you're shooting you know but the biggest issue you'll start to see is a loss of speed a loss of accuracy and at long range those are the two things we don't want to have occur. You start the, the arrow starts getting off axis. It's actually becoming more exposed to crosswind. Obviously, even to anything, if you're having to shoot through a small gap and your arrow's waddling six inches off right. center, yeah, get deflections. There's a, there's a lot of bad things going on with parachuting. And then so, just the increased drag, the loss of speed, the loss of penetration. So let's say I'm an East Coast whitetail hunter. And I say, Nick, I am never going to take a shot over 35 yards ever, ever, ever. So does parachuting matter to me? No, no. no. I'm never going to see it, right? It's not going to start happening until 60, 70 yards. Correct. You really aren't going to see it past 50 yards is generally my rule of thumb. Okay. Uh, 
if I was strictly a whitetail East coast whitetail hunter, you know, and I think the average shot for an East coast whitetail is still 22 yards. Right. Yes. Then I would be running a lot of helical just to get that arrow spinning faster. Um, and that's merely again, just because you're increasing your wound channel size, Mm. you know, um, Catching, catching more hide on the entrance and yeah. Yeah. You know, and that, that's strictly the only reason why I'm not worried about trying to get the arrow. My bow's already tuned. It shoots in the same hole at 30 yards with a broadhead versus a fixed point or a, a field point. So I'm not concerned about trying to get it on axis faster to, to help recover it. Um, I'm personally just, I want an arrow that's going to do more damage at short distance if that's strictly what I'm going to be doing. Yeah. Okay. Interesting stuff. Um, let me ask you about, about tuning. So, um, again, this is advice from Tim and actually Kevin Wilkie as well. Um, they tell me to tune at five yards because according to Kevin and Tim, and and this, these are fletched shafts Mm -hmm. that this is the, the five yards is from paper is the maximum amount of arrow reaction to a poor tune and the veins still haven't had a chance to correct it. If I start to go past five yards, then the veins start to correct it. And if I start to go under five yards, then I haven't seen all the nasty stuff my arrow's doing. And so they said five yards is the perfect distance. What do you think about that? You know, I've had that conversation with Tim and I do not believe in tuning a fletched arrow. Okay particularly up close. Now I will knock tune all my bear shafts at eight feet, 10 feet is where I see the most variance. Um, but I, I've also found that if you take the time now, you, you want to get an arrow tune, I go way over and beyond. Um, being a machinist and understanding how arrows need to be built, I bought what's called a set of Deltronic pins, and I have one for each arrow size, 166, 204, 205. I have no idea what that is. So a set of Deltronic pins, and actually I keep the one set here in my desk, although I don't know if the people will be able to say it. You guys can't figure out Zoom. I get this without a glare. So this set of pins for a 166 shaft goes one-tenth at a time. So we're talking 166, one, 166, Two, you know, one sixty. Are you talking like a rotation? No, that's the diameter diameter of the pin, right? Okay. That is the size. Down to tenths of a thousand. Okay. So, which gets over the top, but what I'm doing with these is every shaft, the knock end of the shaft is the most critical end of the the arrow shaft. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, target archers say somebody's shooting pins, they will trim their shaft and insert their, their, the pin for their pin knock. And they will trim, use that to ensure that the ID and OD of their shaft are concentric. Because unfortunately, a lot of your arrow manufacturers, all they're looking at is the OD of the shaft. They might have, they have an arrow spinner, you know, on something doing, doing it automatically. And they're using a laser to measure the concentricity of the OD of the shaft. But all our components go to the ID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're not, yep. and I... I won't say brands, but there are numerous brands. I've pulled out a a set of their high-end shafts. And we're talking some of these are beyond $300 a dozen. And the knock end of the shaft will run out five, six thousands. Now, you're talking in a straightness test. 
Yes. Well, concentric okay. from the OD to the IV. Yes. The OD might spin perfect. It might be sub 1,000. Oh, okay. So the difference yeah. in thickness of the shaft, the wall of the shaft. Wall thickness, correct. Okay. All right. So the OD might run perfect, but the ID is running out five, six thousandths. Well, now that means your knock is not pushing the string where it engages in the knock. None of that's pushing in the center of the shaft. Mm -hmm. So you're instantly dealing with an arrow that's going to be out of tune. Essentially wobble on you in flight. Yep. Okay, so so, so, uh, so back up. I, I, I say, you I lost see, me. Alan, you lost I got me. the questions. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Well, so so one thing for for the listeners, OD is speaking to outer diameter of your arrow shaft. So that is your four millimeter, your five millimeter, your six millimeter, or if you're talking in decimals, it's the 246, uh, That's your standard carbon. Okay. ID is the internal diameter of the shaft. So the difference between your ID internal and your OD external is your wall thickness. Okay. And that's where we're going to be talking and speaking to spine to some degree. And so how do these pins, I can't remember what you called them. The, these are called Deltronic pins, but they're, Deltronic a, pins. they're, they're a gauge pin. It's a gauge. So you're, you're measuring the wall thickness around the entire circumference of the shaft at right. the knock end. And, and what, what happens when you identify one spot that is thicker than another spot? What do you do with that? I start trimming the end of the shaft down. And you'll see Tim talk about this as well. You know, yep. when he's referencing gold tips and you'll see, he talks about trimming the ends of his shafts. Yeah. So, so when you're cutting your arrows, this is when you're doing it. So you may, instead mm -hmm. of to just putting your arrows in the saw and you cut everything off the front, you're checking out the back and making sure you like it. And you might cut an inch or two off the back before you did make your final cuts. I ha I've had arrows. I've had to cut four inches off. Okay. Yeah. And that's, and that's one thing, whether I'm running a hunting arrow target arrow, other than an X10 pro tour on my target outdoor setup. Um, first thing I'll do with a dozen arrows is I'm pulling knocks out of the back and my minimum cut off the back. And this is the benefit for me with my draw length and the spine I start with. So if I'm starting with a 330 spine or a 300 spine arrow, I know my draw length is going to bring my carbon to carbon total shaft length at 26 and 15 sixteenths. That's where I cut them. So I have the ability to take a 31 or 33 inch long bare carbon shaft arrow, and I've got a lot of room to cut. So my minimum cut off the back is two inches. And you just do that every time? Every single time. Yeah. And then that, you cut that, the front. And then, then I can do what Nick does where we can ID and OD check those to make sure that alignment is there. If it's good, you can pop that knock in, cut the rest off the front. If it's not, you take a little more off the back and you're trying to find a consistent ID, but also you're getting the middle part of that arrow which for spine consistency will give you the greater spine consistency as well. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Interesting. So, and then, so the, the, the tuning, tuning from five yards, uh, you know, if I'm not going to bear shaft tune, which I do a little bit, but you know, I, I run four fledged. So I got four positions for my knock to, to mm -hmm. tune every shaft. And I've had pretty good luck getting 12 out of 12 arrows to shoot perfect bullet holes. Um, it, I'm still pretty fanatical. I'm not like over the top, like 
like what you're talking about here, but uh, do you think that's a good, a good distance to, to paper tune with fletching? Yes. Okay. If that's going to be your method. Yeah. I fully agree. That's kind of the happy distance that you're going to see the arrow achieving its maximum distortion in flight. The reason I got into that, the, the discussing and trimming the back of the arrows is if I go through that process and make every arrow as perfect as it can be from the driven end, yeah, I don't have to paper tune. I can paper tune one arrow and they will all be. Identical. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I well, will not see then, then now all of a sudden I'm very interested because I do spend a lot of time knock tuning every arrow. Yeah. Now, obviously you still need to achieve a tune. Now I will start with a paper tune just as reference, you know, Obviously, you still need the rest set, your cam timing if you're, if you're dealing with any yeah. shimming or if you need to twist up some yokes or something. Um, you still need to achieve a tune, but I'm not going to go through the process of not tuning every shaft. I've done this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times now to know that when I achieve all my arrows are within plus or minus one thou on the drive end, I'm not worried. I don't have to knock tune. I never Interesting. See. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like you put in the work now or later, one of the two, right? Right. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And, and again, the issue comes into otherwise, if you bust off a knock, you darn sure better put it back in, in the same exact spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mark, I mark that stuff, but yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Okay. Uh, one more question. Sorry. I just, I'm very curious about all this stuff. So how do you, how do you feel about, um, shaft diameter? You know, I told you why I shoot a 204, um, can you talk about different shaft diameters and maybe, you know, for, for the average archer and, and and like, you know, they're not going to spend a ton of time tuning and all these different things. Should they just go with a two, four, six, it's a little bit more forgiving or do you, do you see any, uh, any, what would you recommend there? Who should be shooting? What, what are the pros and cons? I'm a huge advocate of the 166 ID shafts all the way around. Um, from again, wind profile, penetration, less service on penetration. I steer everybody in that direction. Can you get a little more forgiveness potentially out of other shafts? Maybe, but the quality of the shafts that are out there now, there's three or four manufacturers that are making 166 ID shafts that if you take the time building them, you're going to have a setup that is so incredibly forgiving with that shaft and they're lighter. So you can run a little more FOC. Um, the overall performance of that shaft is just exponential. The two four, the two hundred four shafts. You know, uh, I think uh, the vast majority of us that have been doing this for longer than ten years, we all shot full metal jackets for a very long time. Um, for a stretch of probably ten years, that was arguably the greatest hunting arrow ever built. They were tough. They hit hard. Um, consistency was there. Consistency was absolutely there. That was just really one of the best shafts built of its time. But it's evolved to evolve these days and the all carbon. Personally, I, I still shoot an ACC, um, a pro comp is what I hunt with. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also a, a fan of the VAP TKOs. I think that's a phenomenal shaft. So, and, and so when I, when I say forgiveness, this is what I mean. Uh, here's an analogy. So, I mean, really tuning, what tuning is, is getting everything in a perfect line. So the center of your string is pushing it's perfect path down the exact center of the arrow as it moves 
through the center of the rest, like everything's in a perfect line. So imagine, you know, if you have a one, six, six and you're off by a 64th right or left of the center of that shaft. Like, let's say that the path of your string is off by a 64th. And then let's say you have a giant old aluminum shaft, right? I don't even know what the, what the diameter is, but something big, or let's say, um, you're shooting like, a, let's say you're shooting like, a uh, a, a, uh, X cutter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you're off by a 64th. Well, that 64th is not nearly, I mean, it's not on that big of a shaft. It's not that much. It's not that far off center. You're still hitting like the, the, the center of that shaft, but on the one, six, six, that 64th becomes a bigger deal because it's a larger percentage air off of center. Do you know what I'm saying? So that's why I found that a little bit larger diameter shaft is maybe a little bit less critical from shaft to shaft. Yeah. To me, all I'm looking for is what the center line is period. I don't care what the the diameter of the shaft is. Cause if you've nailed it, you've nailed it. That's mm-hmm. it. Yeah. I just want everything down the middle. I, yeah. I want to be pushing through the center of the arrow. Um, I think if you're a 16th off, you're a 16th off. Maybe in effect, if you're getting more containment, we'll just say, I, although I'm not a fan of them, obviously, if you're shooting a whisker biscuit, um, because the arrow is pretty well contained to one point, maybe then the larger diameter gives you a little, a little more forgiveness there. Uh, but if you're pushing off center with today's step followaways, what 90, well, there's still a lot of whisker biscuits being used, but <laughs> the majority of us that are shooting a followaway, whether a ham ski or one of our rests or, um, a Q80 are popular. Um, when you're off center, the rest is out of the way. It doesn't matter. You're off center. Right. That's the rest right. is dropped mm-hmm. and no, you're there's nothing containing that larger diameter arrow any differently than a small diameter. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah, I, I, your point is like, you're not going to talk about what happens if you're off a 64th cause you're not going to be. And, and that yeah. I, I get you. I get you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and again, and to me, for those of those of us in the industry, I love talking tuning. I love teaching people how to tune. I want them to have their best possible result in the woods or on the target whatever they're doing i have talked so many people through just how to bear shaft tune their bow at 20 yards um and if you can get somebody to that point that they can have their bear shaft impacting with their fletch shaft within an inch Mm -hmm. in any direction at 20 yards their bow is going to be tuned better than 99 percent of the bows out i totally agree with that man there is nothing as beautiful honestly as watching a bear shaft fly with it with a lighted knock or something and it flies like a dart with no mm-hmm. fletching you feel so confident in your setup uh, to me it's it's uh, way cooler than paper tuning when you actually achieve that paper tuning is like oh yeah it shoots a nice bullet hole but when you see that thing fly with no fletching mm-hmm. you're like this is unbelievable well and if we've all been down that road we all know oh i've got what looks like a really great paper tune with veins at five yards it's a great start it looks great, Start. but then you go and you sight that thing at 20 and you're pounding just on the scribe at 20 yards and you pull out a, a, a bear shaft and it's eight inches off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see that all the time and it's going, <laughs> okay, do. obviously it's not flying back good. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I don't even like doing paper tuning with a flat shaft because yes, maybe the veins aren't doing much, 
but they've already started. The moment that knock is separated from the string, the veins are taking over already. Yeah. Yeah. And you can, for the guys that have done high speed video, um, Nick, I know you have, I know I have, um, especially with uh, the engineering camcorder that we've got here and some of the, the Easter fun videos that we've got out there. You can see as soon as that arrow is released, veins are moving, stuff is starting to already correct and steer. Absolutely. So, no, well, the, I bear shaft tune, bear shaft tune, bear shaft tune. <laughs> I like it, man. I like it. You know, um, I I've learned a lot today, Nick. I, I and, and Evan. I I really appreciate you guys. And I think anybody who is technically minded and and uh, listened to this podcast probably took some really cool stuff away from it, guys. I, I we're getting close to an hour here, so we probably should wrap this up. But that was. I mean, we could keep talking about this well, same stuff time. for another hour. hours, hours, yeah. small, small diameter shafts, good FOC, not over the top and Correct. four fletch, not, Correct. not too much vein. There well, you go. not too much vein is <laughs> as, as little as you can get away with and still yep. feel like it's forgiving setup that controls whatever broadhead you're shooting yep. and, uh, and tune your bow, tune, tune your bow. Tune your bow. Uh, if you don't as, know how, there are enough YouTube videos out there from quality people. Paige, Paige Pierce has put a ton of info out there on how to bear shaft. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's and good to know. Her, her, her videos are very basic. They're aimed at somebody who doesn't understand archery. You know, and she does a great job of that, of, of speaking to the beginning, beginner archery. That's, that's a good resource to know about. I, I will say that when you do it yourself, I mean, we all, it's pro shops are fantastic. We love pro shops. They, they help our industry. They help people get into archery, all of that. But you cannot hire somebody to take your bow to the level that you're, you're able to take it to yourself because no. of the amount of time that goes into tuning a bow to the level that we're talking about on this podcast, you would need to do that on your own. Um, you're, you're not going to get a pro shop to be able to do that. Now they will get it close and, and it's going to shoot good. But if you want to go to the next level, you need to learn how to do this stuff. You have yep. to. And when I go through, if you want to, we may have to touch base on it on another time, the entire tuning process from start to finish, from the moment I pull a bow out of the box to the time I'm happy with it is 12 hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're fast. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> no, and I, but I, I'm saying that's actually 12 hours of effort. It's generally yeah. two or three days. You know? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you yeah. can't. You physically can't do it in no. one. In, yeah. No, yeah. you can't. I mean, and you know, especially for us out west here, you know, we what do we get? Two hours before the wind blows. You know, yeah. if yeah, if yeah, some days. Some, some, I say some days you don't get any. Yeah. Well, maybe we should do another call then on tuning. That was, that was really I, I, good, Nick. Really appreciate your time. Would love to, I, you know, I, I've been blessed to be taught how to tune from, as I said, a couple of the best in the world. And I like to share that info. I want, I want our consumers, our people in the woods, having the best possible setup they can to su- succeed. None of us want that phone call that, Oh man, I lost the bull of a lifetime. Cause I had a setup that wasn't forgiving enough to overcome my heart up in my throat. Mm-hmm. Right. You yeah. Know. Well, and, and that's one of the missions of this podcast is to get great knowledge out there for everybody to use. So appreciate it, man. Let's plan another call. Yep. Thanks guys. guys. Evan, thank you. Nick, yep. thank you.